this is Kat. This is Phoebe. Welcome to Feminine Chaos. Welcome, welcome. Phoebe, I have a question for you. Go for it. So you've heard of Culture Club. Uh, you mean like Boy George style? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But have you ever heard of Cancel Culture Club? <laughs> <laughs> what happens if Cancel Culture Club won't have you? Are you canceled or does it cancel itself out? That's a really good question. I feel like that's one of the really foundational philosophical questions that um, philosophers are going to have to get busy uh, sorting out. I think they're probably debating it right now. Yeah. So we are talking today about cancel culture. What's that? Have you all heard of that? Um, <laughs> Does it exist? Does it exist? I heard it doesn't exist. Is Alison Roman invited to the cancel culture party is the question. Um, oh, yes, because she might cater it. And can you imagine how good yes, that would be? Yes, I feel like the food would be pretty good. Um, so the reason we're talking about cancel culture in 2023, when you would think that this topic has been done rather to death, one might say, is because of a new article, but more to the point, as always, the responses the article got. Um by Emma Green, uh, formerly of The Atlantic, uh, in The New Yorker now, uh, called The Party is Cancelled. And it's about um, a monthly gathering in New York City called The Gathering of Thought Criminals, organized by Pamela Pereski, who is, I am reading from the article, a 56-year-old psychologist who lives in Chelsea. Um, and oh, she went to the University of Chicago for her PhD. Um, I wonder if that was while I was in college. I wonder if we could have been at the same uh, canceled party then. She's a bit older than you. Pamela is 56. Yeah, but if she was, I don't know when she when she did her doctorate. Could have been. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. know her. Do you know her? No, although I, I apparently have, well, actually, no, that's not true. I do know her. Sorry. I don't know why I just said I don't. I've, uh, I, oh, rather, we, it's uh. because you don't want to be canceled. For <laughs> that's knowing right. Her. Don't, please don't, don't anybody say anything um, that I'm revealing on this public podcast. No, I, uh, I just kind of like knee jerk said that I didn't know her, but actually, I have met her. Um, we swim in sort of similar circles. I thought you meant like literally swimming, that you like were swimming no, with her. No, okay. Um, I have been invited to one of these parties, actually, uh, mm. to a few of these parties. I have not attended, um, mostly because I live in Connecticut and my friends are out here and I don't need to go into New York to hang out with people. Um, the other when you thing say that, that when it comes to the sort of contrarian landscape, you're not here to make friends. Is that kind of what you're <laughs> That's at? exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, unlike the people in this article who are there to make friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's funny. I also, I thought actually perhaps the most interesting thing about this article, uh, as far as I was concerned, the thing that I learned that I was surprised by is that I had uh, apparently seen Pamela long before I ever met her because she was in the movie Goodfellas. Ah, that is that is a a new um, <laughs> detail. Interesting bit of trivia, um, but yes, this article this article details Pamela's position as uh, she calls herself the mother hen of the canceled, or somebody called her that anyway, and she does coordinate not necessarily a host but coordinate and organize these get-togethers every month or so for people who are ostensibly post-cancellation but that's really not the only group that attends these parties it's just people who are sort of in the orbit of people who have heterodox views so 
I know that, I mean, and you know, this isn't a secret uh, because it says so in the article. Nick Gillespie of Reason frequently attends these events. And actually, funny story, I realized, I guess two days ago when this article came out, that I actually brushed up against the article when it was in the process of being written because uh, in February... After my recent book came out, I did an event called The Reason Speakeasy with Nick Gillespie. He interviewed me in front of a live audience of um, like, I don't know, there were probably like 70 people there. It was it was a pretty good crowd. And at the time, I stepped out into the hallway to use the restroom and I encountered Emma Green standing there talking to, um, I think, either... I don't think it was Pamela. I think she was talking to Sarah Siskind, who also appears in this article. And I now realize that I witnessed journalism happening live right there, right then. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. That is exciting. So we have an actual, like, you know, <laughs> lived experience <laughs> feminine chaos connection to this exactly although i guess i wasn't i wasn't considered canceled enough to be worthy of well uh, so that's okay that's that's an angle that that we have many angles on this um but one is that like i think there's some sort of category blurring that happens between heterodox views and having an origin story of being canceled and this came up i have a lived experience can i share yes please where once i was being interviewed for a heterodox type podcast and my interviewer just kept asking about like so that time when you were canceled she was trying to dig for it and I was like I wasn't canceled like I don't have one of these like you know I feel for the people who are just not you know like that's not my origin story and then that podcast never appeared and that's like one of the few times I've done a like possibly the only time I've done a podcast that never appeared so I think there is something where there's like this expectation that if you have um unconventional views in this sort of realm that it's because you personally had these kind of mainstream progressive views from which you were kind of like expelled once you had once you either did a bad tweet or whatever and if if you just that's always how you've been I feel like that doesn't really have a then you have to sit absolutely by yourself um and that's extra sad okay here's a question what if you were canceled but it was like such a lightweight effort that you didn't even notice and now somebody's out there listening to this and they're like i did cancel her what doesn't she remember i canceled her so many times we canceled together didn't it mean anything (laughs) exactly i mean i think that yeah like there have been Anybody who's been active in writing and online for a certain amount of time has had people mad at them. But cancellation seems to be this very specific, like in this context, it seems to be very much like the right thinking progressive, you know, people will not touch anything you have anything to do with, right? That's what it means in this context. Because you could be canceled on the right, you could be canceled apolitically just because people hate you for some reason, you know what I mean? But like, this seems to be... It's a very specific trajectory. It's like you're progressive and then you're suddenly a bad progressive and then, but you're not really right wing now. You're just kind of in this nebulous, like heterodox space because you were canceled. Yes, that's an interesting phenomenon because you cannot be canceled by people on the other side. It has to happen, you know, people on your own side have to do it to you. And that's the thing that has also, are we ready to talk a little bit about the reaction to this? I think we'd better do that. I mean, the only one, there's just like one quick thing I would say though about the article itself that's relevant to the reaction is that this is not Emma Green saying, 
hooray, these people are my favorite people ever. I have joined their little club. They are the best. They all are the true victims in society. I believe everything that Pamela has told me. That is not exactly the gist of the article itself. And I feel like that's important for what we're going to talk about. Yes, for sure. I mean, it's, oh man, the article is quite even handed. I think it is skeptical in certain places. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are, there are, times when it is maybe a little bit uh even uncharitable to its subjects in a way that I thought was not you know ideal but at the same time it's a piece of journalism you know it's it's attempting to kind of treat these gatherings in an anthropological way and I understand that and um but the the idea that it was this kind of fawning puff piece which is ubiquitous uh along with many other things and the response to it yes no that is not that is not what it is and Winston mm-hmm. agrees mm-hmm. Winston says no so we're all three of us in agreement so Kat you want to start about the uh responses because they are yeah they're good. oh my god <laughs> okay the response to this article is unlike anything I have ever seen I I mean okay maybe that's not quite true because it is of a piece or of a kind with the response to some other articles where people are basically outraged that the thing exists and the the response is like it would be genuinely funny if it weren't so vicious I think that um a good example of another article that drew this level of backlash is the one that appeared in I think it was Mother Jones um about Richard Spencer do you remember this right where he was dapper so this was that was a tweet promoting that's not even what it wasn't even in the article a tweet promoting the article referred to him as dapper right so this is a cover on a lot of so I I feel like I have to cite blocked and reported um yes our buddies in podcast land um yes friends of the pod personal friends friends. of pod Um, yes Jesse Single also wrote about this on his Substack, and that's a good article and I am going to make a note to myself to link to it in the show notes yes um so basically uh Sometimes people think that coverage is the same as endorsement. And so it seems like the objections, and there were, we will get into these objections, but that the objections, yes, largely on Twitter to this article, were coming from people who objected both to the gatherings and to what the the level we're talking about it now is just the fact that anybody was writing about it. And I think this baseline gets at a lot of like basically all criticism within media has some level of like the New Yorker thinks they're important why isn't the New Yorker coming to see what I'm doing in my spare time and writing about that (laughs) I'm good too I'm important I'm special exactly (laughs) exactly Exactly. so I think that Winston is is fully fully on board with this we invite the New Yorker to our house all the time to play with (laughs) to play with a ball you know to share (laughs) a bone and they never come and it's really hurtful yeah, they need to put the umlaut um, onto, you know, accounts of everything that I do. Like if I go to the toilet, umlaut, you know. But the point is toilet <laughs> with like an eye with an umlaut over it. Um, is your toilet from Ikea? I assume it must be. It, it would though, right? No, it would be, wouldn't that be like an O with a line through it? <laughs> um, you don't want that to happen to your toilet. But yeah, so I think that some of the objections are just this like, how dare anybody get 
press coverage who isn't me and then that gets sort of retrofitted into a political argument here though it seems like there's also like how dare these people gather how dare these people think they were their victims right is it somewhere in that realm yes okay so it is and but the level of outrage um i mean oh i think i think i may have found the best one that really encapsulates this well not the best my favorite is the one with the person with the rat emoji because i think that that gets at another whole angle that we're not going to get to yet yes okay. but there's one by here for, by um jeff ihaza senior editor at rolling stone or thus identifying himself um on twitter that goes and it's a quote tweet of the article. A lot of people lead remarkable lives that impact the people around them for generations and never get an article written about them in one of the world's most prestigious magazines. But I suppose white guys who feel oppressed need to be heard too. Well, that's an original take. See, my favorite uh, was much more unhinged. It, this one is from Sophia Benoit, and she is... Um, a sex columnist at Bustle and GQ, um, and these the people were whose responses we're highlighting are just for the record are people with like really high follower accounts. Like we're talking about people with like six figure follower accounts on Twitter. So you know, people who are well established, who have like a solid foothold in media, who have a following, who have influence, who are in already a place to shape a lot of the national conversation and media coverage of things as, as much as they might care to. And yet, okay, Sophia Benoit tweets, you have to be such a fucking loser. You have to, I mean, I feel breathless right now. You have to be such a dweeb to crave this type of connection with these types of people. Ooh, okay, okay. So yes, that, okay, Rat King, you might see. So here's another account, and this is relevant, okay, to Sophia Benoit or Benoit, depending how... French she wants to do so you see this account this is really important for what's to come okay it's the account name is rat king lowercase r lowercase k and then has a rat emoji okay so you think oh this is and there's like a weird cartoon um avatar so you think oh this is some rando right no no this is mike isaac new york times tech reporter as and with like an actual new york times email address listed 192.1 thousand followers so this is not rando okay this is not so yes tell me what rat king said he said this and this is important the punctuation and capitalization is crucial here lower all lowercase okay no punctuation this is the lamest nerd shit i have ever seen so when i saw this I imagined, oh, I'm looking at a tweet from some sort of underdog, like shit poster, you know, edge lord rat person, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I look at this, the bio of who this is, and no, this is just like a New York Times journalist. And to me, this seems very um, emblematic of a, a phenomenon on the internet where people sort of who don't like the politics with somebody they consider to be to their right call that person a big nerd when it's like you're also posting you're posting the screenshots of a new yorker article and you are a tech reporter for the new york times are you not a nerd like what it just seems very this idea of calling other people a nerd i see this a lot not just here but like it's just funny to me because it's like we're all nerds we're looking at some 
posts. We're posting. We're nerds. Like, get over it. Like, you can't accuse somebody else of it. It's just, no. Anyway. I mean, also, oh, God, there, there's something, I mean, we're going to get into very meta territory here. But, like, who's the nerdier person? The person who's attending a party in real life with other people that ends up getting written about in The New Yorker? Or the person who's mad about it online and calling those people nerds? Uh, exactly. Because it, it's almost as if they're party is in canada and going to another school they're yes they're just out of frame laughing too exactly i mean it does have a bit of that to it yeah i mean i i just wonder why the accusation i mean that fascinates me why the accusation isn't that like i almost would understand if they were saying these people are problematic they are embracing white supremacist cis heteropatriarchy that under that is at least like i might not agree with it i wouldn't agree with it but i wouldn't but it's at least kind of like a more politically comprehensible line of thought, whereas they're nerds. I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, it's kind of striking in that it's such a classic kind of, I mean, you, know, you watch an 80s movie and that's what the bullies are calling the people they're bullying, which is something that I want to talk about in a second. But like, before I get to that, I just want to talk about the kind of like frothing rage that seems to have consumed so many people over the fact that this article exists at all and even when I posted it myself I ended up with people in my mentions being like I can't believe you're defending this trash like I used to respect you and I mean I haven't actually defended the article I think the article is kind of you know whatever it's not great it's not terrible it's you know it's a New Yorker article I don't really love them all but uh it's fine but this idea that like there's this affronted element to seeing a an article in the new yorker that you think is not like strictly the greatest article ever or like maybe you know maybe a better article could have been written in its place and this is like so upsetting to you that you have to like lash out about it all day long publicly and vocally like you're just so upset how do you function in the world like if this is how you feel every time an article is written in a, a prestigious magazine that you feel is not like strictly meritorious of that magazine's attention like I just can't even imagine walking around that mad all the time I mean you must just have to carry a change of underwear with you at all times just in case like you happen by a newsstand <laughs> and the front page of the New York Times or the New Yorker or Vanity Fair or whatever it is is not strictly you know what you think should be on there like you just explode from both ends I don't know <laughs> it's very uh visual it's very South Park um I mean it's just like I'm picturing this like I think there's just this weird tension as I see it between like the people who imagine that they're kind of edgy and the ones who are the most concerned about what the most sort of mainstream high profile publications are doing because like, yeah, I don't think there is going to be something in like a really edgy magazine about this group of people, you know, so it seems like there's something about like this fighting over the territory of the mainstream and it almost seems like it's some outgrowth of like yeah, like you say with high school, but sort of like the type A, straight A student kind of thing of like, but I did everything right. I should be the one in the New Yorker. You know what I mean? Like, like that you should be able to merit your way into this. And if you haven't gotten there, that's not fair. And you should be able to petition the New Yorker to cover you instead based, based on like that you tried really hard and you should get the... A for effort from the New York. I don't know. It's like there's something strange about it where where to care about it is dorky on multiple levels. It's it's dorky because you're posting 
stuff to the internet when you could be doing literally anything else. But it's also about this, like, you know, you want the achievement that everybody would recognize as an achievement. You know what I mean? You want people to be impressed and like you want as many people as possible to be impressed. Yes. And I I don't know. I think I'm going to kind of yes and you. It's that this really reveals what a kind of importance people have attached to the New Yorker and to publications like it to the point where, you know, like finding somebody in its pages who they disapprove of is akin to like, I don't know, you know, a some kind of stinky person is walking around in your country club, yeah. you know, or it's like, you know, on the altar of my place of worship, <laughs> like this unworthy person is receiving, con- uh, what's the thing that Christians take? Communion. Communion. Thank you. As, the, as a resident <laughs> expert. <laughs> yes. I've, I'm taking one uh, as we speak. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've got a big stack of them here. Snack on them. Yes. I mean, it, it's just, oh, I guess like so these gatherings, I mean, would you be interested in going every week if you were in New York? Okay, would you be doing this? I mean, probably not. But then again, I don't know because I I don't know what these gatherings are like. I haven't been to Mm -hmm. one. And I know I know some of the people who do go and those people are my friends. And so, you know, maybe I mean, if what it is really is just like every week my my friends kind of get together and hang out and like sometimes they bring their friends and you know sometimes their friends bring their friends and it's just a kind of a like a loose like I mean you you would have gatherings like this where you know oh a bunch of us are going to a bar like you know some other folks are coming you know you have this sort of like loose like professional slash personal conglomeration of people maybe I would find that fun maybe I wouldn't go every week but maybe I would enjoy going I mean ultimately what this is is it's people it's people socializing oh how dare see because i was gonna say because i was gonna say that i totally would i don't think i would go every week because like logistically that it's hard to picture that but i think i would see it so i was wondering if toronto has this and i started to have this like extreme fomo is this happening in toronto and i don't know about it because i'm like not high profile enough in canada to be like included and then i'm thinking like but i haven't been canceled so maybe (laughs) maybe if it's but i mean I guess I've been to things a little like this in Toronto that where like you meet people in that kind of sphere, but never quite, quite like this. And I wonder if this is just like Canada doesn't have just enough people relevant to this. But I also feel like Toronto punches way above its weight for this sort of thing because we have like mm-hmm. we've got a lot of, you know, we've got our not that I would be particularly in this group, but we've got like Jordan Peterson and John Kay, who are not obviously interchangeable with each other. You know, John Kay, friend of Pod, Jordan Peterson. I don't know if he would be friend of Pod. We have not. Um, we did not steal our name from no, him. No, definitely, <laughs> certainly not. But yeah, I think Toronto has a pretty good, um, we have Tara Henley, right? Don't we have Tara Henley in Toronto? Yes, yeah. I have met her in Toronto, so she certainly exists here. Um, I think you used to have Megan Murphy before she decamped for Mexico. No, yeah. I think she was elsewhere in Canada, but but. Canada, all the um, same, you know, it's it's real. It's not just where imaginary friends live. Um, but yeah, I feel like Toronto should, maybe I'm going to have to organize it, the, the thought criminals. Maybe you should. Yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, fundamentally, I don't think for the most part that this gathering is any different from an ordinary kind of informal social affair. The only thing that makes it maybe slightly different is that um, as they, you know, 
as Emma Green explains in her piece, you have to pass muster with Pamela Paretsky before you're allowed in. But I do understand there being maybe a desire for people to kind of be vetted before coming to something like this just because you do have a certain number of people present who are either like very understandably going to be shy of spending time in a room with people that they don't know because you know they come with all of this baggage and I mean I've, I've experienced this to a certain degree like after I became problematic in young adult fiction circles where you know I would find myself in spaces with you know, people who were fellow writers. And there is this like little moment, this kind of frisson of, you know, you're not sure if somebody in the room just hates your fucking guts and really like wishes you ill and wishes you weren't there. And that's an anxiety inducing thing to have to reckon with. So there's that. The other thing too, is that, you know, you want the people who are coming in to understand what they're getting into. Um, You know, the fact that you have to just like clear this one gate is in some ways a signal to you like if you have any trepidation about spending time in a space with people who you know it might be reputationally damaging it you know in certain circles if you care about what those circles think to spend time in a room with these people then you would want to be aware of that and maybe you like this is your chance to kind of bow out of it does that make sense mm-hmm. no that that totally makes sense I mean I guess I, can I yes and yeah no. <laughs> Thank you. No, we're going to, we're going to, I'm no longer allowed to yes and. Oh, all right. Uh, no, so what I was going to yes and is that basically I find that in day-to-day life here in Toronto, um, I often, like, I, I don't know whether I am going to be, like, way too problematic and whether I need to just, like, not say too much about what I think about things. Um and then you never know and sometimes you do and like people are you know not actually they don't they're not all you know walking embodiments of the exact books book covers specifically that are like visible from our local sort of woke bookshop you know it's not always that people actually think like this there's no telling demographically who's going to be where politically it is not particularly white men I find who are the whatever more heterodox thinkers necessarily at all but also yeah so that's that's part of it also like I have heard sometimes spontaneously from people who are way way like to the point of unwoke to the point of uh, way beyond anything I would want anything to do with um who had seemed like nice liberal sorts um but I'm rambling but the point is that I think there's something about like maybe sometimes like I guess what I'm getting at is that I could see sometimes wanting to go to something like this I don't know though that I would want that to be a dominant aspect of my social life because I think I could see something like this kind of solidifying too much into like that's all you can talk about are these culture wars things and you know it's nice to have other things going on yeah absolutely and I mean I think that the best versions of events like this that I've been to and I'm thinking of things like Hereticon you know which was explicitly Mm -hmm. convened for the purposes of like we're going to be a forum for dangerous ideas and and so on and so forth like that was in a sense true like the presentations that people gave at Hereticon were interesting and in some cases edgy and in some cases really really bonkers there was a lot of discussion of UFOs which I was not necessarily prepared for Um, (laughs) but you know at the same time like outside of 
of the you know sort of staged events you just had a lot of people who were kind of like interesting fun cool people and who were of a disposition to attend an event like this which is to say like they were not stuck up and obsessed with status and obsessed with like oh I can't be seen hanging out with these people like you know that's if I mean as long as you're also kind of oriented in that direction that's a fun crowd to hang out with fun conversations happen like fun stuff happens organically and it doesn't mean that you're sitting there talking about like forbidden topics or whatever I mean there's this this bizarre kind of projection happening on the part of so many people who were angry about this article that they seemed to envision this as akin to like a KKK meeting well that's that's ridiculous yeah I mean Oliver Willis this is another guy. He's a writer at the American Independent. Uh, he used to work for Media Matters. He has, you know, 151.9 thousand followers on Twitter. He wrote this really like bizarre kind of fantasy riff on this thing, describing everybody like getting together and and putting on their robes and hoods and getting ready to burn a cross. Uh, you know, there's this just this idea that this is like a meeting of a hate group, or that it's all white men, which seems a it's little. Not. Um, it's clearly not from the article yeah, but yeah, no. um, I mean I have another thought though about the cancellation aspect and about like I think there is a danger so I do think it's real and, and that people are ostracized and all of this and have lost jobs and I think this has been documented and I don't need to like relitigate that on here but I do think there's a way that people sometimes and maybe this is even more in Canada I don't know but um, although the example I'm thinking of is not Canadian where people um, act as like they're walking on eggshells that they don't have to and imagining the cancellation. And I, and maybe I, like in one interpretation, you say, okay, that's proof of how bad the cancel culture is that people are so scared. But in another interpretation, I think people sometimes confuse like somebody might not like me as much if I hold views they don't like with I would be canceled because like I saw there was an article about that I have not yet read I had the tab open for a while and have not yet actually read it um about like DEI like you know diversity equity inclusion programs and anti-semitism and how that all lines up but that was like a you know conservative sort of article about this and somebody tweeted about it saying that they knew some student who was afraid to study in Israel lest he be canceled and I just was trying to make sense of this because I was thinking like if if you yourself want to go study in Israel and that is, you know, something you want to do, who's like, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. To me, this just seems a little like do it if you want to do it. Don't do it if you don't want to do it to figure out where you stand on going there for a variety of reasons, some political, some not. And just, you know, proceed with your life. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but it just seems a little like maybe people would be critical of something you would do and maybe you would say well you're wrong you know rather than like "Uh uh-oh I've been canceled I I have two minds about this because on the one hand I think that what you're describing is kind of the only way to actually live it's sort of what you have to do whether you really feel brave enough to do it or not on the other hand I do think that the the way these things often unfold where it's not just that someone takes exception to, for instance, your decision to study abroad in Israel, it's that many people do in a very vocal and very organized way and it does end up having an impact on your life and on your reputation. And I'm just thinking very specifically right now about how a group of writers – 
um, got together and and planned a trip to Israel recently. Um, I think these were people who wrote in in young adult fiction, and a number of these writers were Jewish. I don't know if all of them were, but you know there was a desire to to go. You know, and I think that they were even planning on you know taking trips like to the West Bank to see what was happening there. You know, it wasn't just going to be like a rah rah Israel tourism kind of a thing, but the fact that they were going at all was outrageous to a very vocal uh, contingent within the young adult fiction community who absolutely exerted themselves in a way that is extremely organized, extremely energetic, um, that went on forever to try to punish them, you know, to, to ensure that they suffered like consequences professionally personally reputationally for having the audacity to take a trip to Israel and to say that they were doing this and um yeah you know I think like in the face of that you know when you see that happening to other people it can be it can be really chilling even if you ultimately decide to live your life you know the sense that this could happen to you is unsettling for sure yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I don't know that I have like a really uh, strong conclusion on this besides like, I guess I, I think I would be wary of overstating like if, if this hasn't actually if it's a, an imagined cancellation, I don't mean that you imagine about these writers because I, I mean, like for the student, if this has like, it might not actually be so bad. And I worry that people might be leading their lives expecting cancellation at all. Like, I think there is also this whole Certainly if it's about an individual doing something, the whole like other people are not thinking about you as much as you imagine rule also applies. And like you hear a lot about people who everybody cares what they're doing and everybody's looking at them at all times. But like even with the Internet, even with social media, I don't know how true that is. And I think I think people have a little more leeway than sometimes they think. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I think so it's the, the crapshoot nature of it, I think, actually contributes to a lot of the fear. And this is um, like I was thinking about this in the context of a shark attack. Like most sharks are not interested in eating you. And most people who go in the ocean are never going to encounter a shark or be intact, uh, intact, be attacked by a shark be intact by a shark they know they hopefully they will stay intact by the shark as the shark cruises past them and doesn't dismember them um but the knowledge that it can happen and the randomness with which it happens and the fact that if it happens you are really screwed i think that all of that contributes to a not unreasonable fear of sharks and a certain number of people make a you know a logical decision that they just don't want to risk it like you know as as rare as it may be they don't want to be the person who gets their head bitten off in the ocean while they're trying to surf and so they just don't go in the ocean yeah yeah i mean the only my only caveat with that is that like a shark is probably not just going to do a little nibble whereas i think there is the option there is the possibility that you can do something problematic and people can be a little annoyed or one person can be annoyed but it's somebody who's hypersensitive and you don't care what they think you know what i mean like I feel like there is a more 
it's possible that somebody that that something between a shark attack and a shark just passing you by could happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, but I agree with you about the crapshoot. I agree with you cra- about the crapshoot. Do you have more on yes. this? On yes, this topic? I do. Um, because there is there is one element of this that I'm I'm really obsessed with, and that is the what the hell did these people think was going to happen element? Because one of the things that I was amazed by in the response to this article, and this is specifically in the replies to Emma's tweet about, you know, when she just like posted the link to what she'd written, people were unironically calling this the Losers Club. And I could not get over that. I still can't because the Losers Club is the name of the group of kids in Stephen King's It who get together um, to, you know, to be friends and also eventually to fight a deep-seated evil that lives underneath the town, but that's neither here nor there. But they get together as a result of having been bullied and ostracized by, like, the bad, popular bully kids who kind of rule and run the town. And this just, to me, speaks to what is, I think, the obvious and inevitable result of something like cancel culture whether you want to call it that or something else people who you attempt to kind of ostracize from society and who you make a point of persecuting it's not just about having been like pushed out it's that there's the the shunning and the public shaming and like the way everybody bonds over like making sure that that these people are seen as bad they eventually find each other And they bond over that shared experience of having been shamed and shunned. And then they become a group unto themselves. I mean, this is the plot of so many teen movies. It's like every bully revenge story in the world. This is the plot. And it's, I don't know, the idea that this was not completely predictable. I just find it really funny because, like, I'm sorry, but the people who are viciously screaming about like oh these losers this is like this is the nerdiest shit I've ever seen this is disgusting I can't breathe these people are the biggest bullies on the planet and they have somehow convinced themselves that they're not but they are and they you know they have created this situation completely by themselves and I'm sorry I I find it very funny but also kind of sad well I think getting is wouldn't you say that that if living well is the best revenge having your hanging out with people covered in the new yorker maybe that's the the best revenge. that is the best revenge yeah all right well we're waiting for them we're to cover our feminine chaoses you know Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll, t- I'll take we're that waiting. i mean i you know i would settle even for not the new yorker like you know just i don't know the local news come to my house i'll make canapes <laughs> excellent do you have anything else to say about this phoebe I don't think so. I I mean, I I think we should just cancel anybody who posts with the like, in a way where they think they're cool. That's who I would cancel. But I'm not in the business of canceling. So yeah, but if I were, that would be where I'm too busy having fun with my friends to cancel anyone. And that's just how it should be. Are they just off screen? (laughs) They're on this podcast with me. What the hell? And, oh boy. Uh, so this has has this been feminine chaos? This has been feminine chaos. And if you would like to be 
our friend, uh, if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more like it, please consider joining us on our Substack as a member at femchaospod.substack.com. For $5 a month, you will receive access to our whole back catalog of episodes, early access to our public episodes, exclusive premium episodes for subscribers only, and a community of commenters who are very happy to chat with you about all things feminine chaotic they miss anything no no i think that's right i think that's everything and uh, until next time bye bye